The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. You know what's really fun? When you admire somebody's work and you think that what they do is really, really important in the world, and then you're lucky enough to get to become their friend. Well, that's the situation that I'm in today because our guest on the Main Street Vegan program today is somebody like that. Oh my gosh, we love him to pieces. I know that because I look at those Google statistics of how many people listen to which episodes. And when Dr. Neil Barnard is a guest as he is today, why it just seems like everybody on earth listens. Well, maybe not that many, but we're getting there. So it will be my pleasure in just a minute or so to introduce someone who is doing amazing things in the world, Dr. Neil Barnard. But first, I'll introduce myself. If you haven't been a listener uh, for very long, I am Victoria Moran. I'm your host. If you want to know more about what I do, please check out my website, MainStreetVegan.net. And I would invite you in particular to click on where it says film project because I've been working with a wonderful filmmaker, Thomas Jackson, on a documentary called A Prayer for Compassion. This is to find that core of love at the heart of all the world's spiritual traditions and try to present to people who consider themselves religious or spiritual that maybe going vegan, maybe opening up that love and compassion to all beings is the next step. So this beautiful film is going to premiere in New York City on March 5th. If you happen to be in this part of the world, do come to our premiere. It's going to be so much fun. It'll be at the SVA Theater in Chelsea. You can get tickets at tinyurl.com slash compassionfilm. We'll put that on the show notes, and it's going to be magical. So many magical things are happening in this wonderful world of kindness and health and sanity and sustainability, and it's wonderful to have all of you as part of it. So let's get to why you're here, Dr. Neil Barnard. He is a physician, and he's a rock musician. He's an animal rights activist and the founder and president of Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. He's also the founder and director of the Barnard Clinic in the Washington, D.C. area, where a whole foods plant-based diet and the best in traditional and complementary medical care come together to offer the health care of the future. He's been at the helm of studies showing the power of this way of eating to prevent and reverse disease, and he is the author of 
many, many, many books, and the cutest little book you have ever laid eyes on is his brand new one, and it's called The Vegan Starter Kit, Everything You Need to Know About Plant-Based Eating. Welcome, Dr. Neil Barnard. Well, thank you, Victoria. What a lovely introduction. It's great to be talking with you today. Well, it's great to be talking with you today, too, because we really go back, but you'd never think it by looking at either of us. <laughs> Had to get well, a joke least, in at, at the beginning, at but but it is true. You're just you're such an amazing person and such such a wonderful gift to humans and animals. You've done so much already to make this world better, and you're just not stopping at all. So let's talk first about this dazzling little book. What was the inspiration behind it? Well, the, the idea was. Um Different people are going vegan for different reasons, but it, so many people are doing it for whether it's to get that athletic edge, which is, of course, the latest thing is athletes are going vegan, um, or a person wants to lose weight or get their diabetes or cholesterol under control, or you're concerned about how animals are treated or you're concerned about the environment. Um, people need to know how to do it. However, I've got to tell you, Victoria, all the other books that I've written are big enough to prop open a door. And I decided, I decided I wanted to have something where a person could give it to a friend or a person could pick it up. And in 45 minutes, you know everything you need to know to start, and you're confident about it. So you don't have to invest a lot of time. And my hope was that a person would pick up this book, read it in an hour's time or, you know, or less. They'd say, I know how to begin. And then I, I'm hoping that they'll say, all right, I'm going to try this for, for a couple weeks and see how it goes. That's really all you need to do. You'll be sold after that. And I love that it's so little, that even somebody who's like, well, this is not for me, or I'm going to read this because my kid is doing it, or somebody that I know is doing it, and I'll just read it so that I can understand them. And then they'll be sold. And it, it's very interesting, too, because you said you've written a lot of big books, and I've written a lot of big books. But before we get to the recipes, and the really wonderful recipes, you've got just over a hundred pages of actual material and they're not even big pages but it's everything you know this is not rocket science it's it's really not rocket science people people basically need to know a few things is sort of why do i want to do this um but it's not that complicated and then how should i start and uh Questions that come up for everybody. Am, am I getting complete nutrition? And, and of course, you and I know the, uh, the, the answer to that is you're going to get actually way better nutrition than you had before. But people have questions about protein and calcium and the usual stuff. Should I take a supplement? What do I do if I'm traveling? Uh, my friends all want to eat at a restaurant. Which is the best kind of restaurant? Um, all those kinds of things come up a lot. And uh, they're, they're, they're simple, but it's important to, to address them. So that was the whole idea. Yeah, well, you do such a great job. And I think of all your lovely little chapters in here, my favorite one is Chapter 9, which is Bumps in the Road. Because very often when people do this, when it's new, if they don't have much support, all it takes is a bump in the road to bump them off. And the one I want to ask you about is, my doctor or other caregiver does not understand a vegan diet. What does somebody do who's in that situation? Um, yes, uh, it, it happens a lot. And, um, you know, doctors have been preoccupied with all kinds of other things <laughs> other than nutrition. They've been preoccupied with prescription drugs and all kinds of stuff. But nutrition, although it's at the core of so many issues, is not at the core of medical teaching yet. Um, 
I guess that the main thing that I encourage people to do is to, well, number one, if, if you're reading a book like the Vegan Starter Kit, you can give them a copy um, of it so that they're reading what you're reading. You can also refer them to our website at the Physicians Committee. The website is pcrm.org. And we have free materials for doctors who want continuing medical education. They can access it for free and they can get up to speed with you. We have conferences and so forth for them. Um, and then maybe the last thing just to say is who works for whom? The doctor works for you. So you don't want your doctor to talk you out of making a healthy choice. But you don't have to fire your, doc- fire your doctor necessarily if they are kind of in that camp. Um, doctors are always or virtually always really good at monitoring disease states. So they can, if you have diabetes, they can track your blood sugar and hemoglobin A1C. They can track your cholesterol. They can track your thyroid numbers. And then as you're changing your diet, you may be a bigger diet expert than your doctor is, or you may be working with a dietitian or somebody else who can guide you, and then the doctor can track physically how you're doing as you get better. In the course of this, the doctor will be so impressed by your progress uh, that she or he will become a vegan herself or himself, probably. So at least we hope so. Oh, yeah. I I once had a, a doctor tell me, I put people on medication to get your numbers and, and I wish all my patients would eat the way you do. And then she stopped and said, I wish I would eat the way you do. <laughs> and it's sort of like, well, you could. <laughs> no, it's not an exactly. well, But I think, yeah, it still scares a lot of people. It's funny to me, Dr. Bernard, that this is the one way of eating that I know of that some people do to literally save their lives and other people do it and are afraid they're going to die. So how do we get yes, but, there? Well, but, but you know, it's all just sort of imaginary, this idea that some people imagine that a vegan diet means something complicated. Um, for, for example, if you and I know that, that uh, if you have just spaghetti with tomato sauce, that's vegan. But some people imagine that vitamin V has to come from, in some special truck and be added to it to make it vegan. You know, it, 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 vegan just means... It doesn't have any dairy or meat or eggs, and, and that's it. That, that's basically all it really means. Um, and that's what people discover. I, I will never forget when we started doing clinical research trials. Patients would come in, and they would, at about week two or week three, they would say, wait a minute, this is like really easy. I thought this was supposed to be hard. Instead of meat chili, I make bean chili. Um, it, you know, it, instead of... Uh, a meat sauce on my spaghetti. I put the tomato sauce on my spaghetti. This is this is really easy, uh, easier than other diets, and it's because they've been on diets that are complicated. Um, if you're on a diet that makes you count calories or write down all your carb grams, those are complicated. But skipping the animal stuff is, frankly, the easiest diet a person has ever been on. It does require a little bit of planning, but um, anybody can do it. So from the health point of view, how much good do we get just for getting rid of the animal stuff? Because we're hearing a lot nowadays about, ooh, there's so many vegan junk foods and vegans can do really poorly. And some study came out that um, a vegan diet, the way a lot of people do it, actually has more fat and salt and sugar than a, a conventional diet. So where do we start and for people who are really doing this for ethical reasons, maybe they're not all that concerned about their own personal health, they're very young or whatever it is, 
what's just the basics? What does somebody like that need to do to be healthy and be able to just forget about it? Okay, um, going vegan, if that's all you do, is a great step. That's a huge step. So if you do nothing else but you just throw out the animal products, you are doing great, and you should pat yourself on the back, and that is super. Um, if you have a person who is a meat-eating, junk food-eating person, and they stop all the animal products, but they're continuing to eat other junk food. And when I say junk food, I mean candy and sodas and stuff like that. Um, maybe fried foods, french fries and stuff. They've still done a very, very good thing by going vegan. That's great. However, I don't think of vegan as an extreme end of your dietary quest. It's the beginning of it. You've knocked out the animal products. Now, what else? Then you start thinking about these other things like, am I eating too much sugar or too much grease or is alcohol an issue? And you start exploring other things. But if you, still, if you haven't thought of dumping the pork chop, you haven't really started. So I, I do encourage people to get the animal products off their plate first. Then let's start looking at what's, what's left. And it's true that um, you can eat as on a vegan diet almost as much junk food as a meat eater can. True, you're not going to have pork rinds and stuff like that, but or string cheese. But um, but, but there are cookies and cakes that are that don't have animal products in them that aren't as healthy as what you'd want to end up with ultimately. But but going vegan alone, I think, is a great step. Wow, and that was a great tweet you said in there. If you haven't dumped the pork chops, you haven't started. <laughs> and speaking of tweets, we have a question from Twitter from Elizabeth, and she says, I have this little voice in the background telling me that you are going to make a terrible vegan. I am so food sensitive. I have a terrible time with tomatoes, onions, fermented foods, peppers, vinegar, whole wheat, spicy foods. How can I be properly vegan? So many recipes utilize these flavors in lieu of non-vegan dressings, dips, and toppings. Okay, great question. Um, First of all, none of the, those are real. Um, it's not common, but there are people who are sensitive to, to many foods. They might be allergic or they might just have a, a response to them, an inflammatory response or something like that. Um, those are not a reason to have a steak. Um, in, in other words, you can still, be, you can still follow a vegan diet. You, you, a vegan diet, again, all that means is you're not eating the meat, dairy, or, or eggs. So you throw all that out. But if you also are sensitive to tomatoes, then you're going to want to skip tomatoes or, or at a minimum, check to see if you are sensitive to them. Uh, we've seen this with migraine. We've seen it with rheumatoid arthritis and some other conditions. And what we often do with conditions where people have lots and lots of things they're sensitive to is we take everything, all the bad stuff out of their diet. It, it, we take everything that a person could be allergic to or react to. So they might have to not only go on a vegan diet, but we would eliminate nuts and and tomatoes and wheat and all kinds of stuff. And so for a couple of weeks, they're eating only things like rice and cucumbers and a a very, very limited palate. But we're doing that on a very short-term temporary basis to cool down their immune system so they're not reacting to whatever they're sensitive to. Then their headaches go away or their joints uh, cool down. Then we start bringing the foods back in one at a time every two days. So let's say I took out citrus fruit. I'll bring the citrus back, 
uh, have the, you'll have a couple of oranges or three or three or four, and if you don't react to them, then you keep them. Then two days later, we'll bring in, say, potatoes. You eat a lot of potatoes, and if you don't react, you keep them. Um, and you just bring back each food, but you do it one at a time to see which one causes a reaction. And if you do react, then you leave that out. But at no point do you want to bring the animal products back because that's going to do more harm than good. Aha! Uh-huh. Fascinating. Now, do we have a caller? I see we have a caller named Elizabeth, and we just did a Twitter question from Elizabeth. I'm wondering if that's the same person. Is that the same person? Elizabeth? Hello. Hi. Hello. How, how are you? Yeah, it is me. I didn't know you were going to ask my question. Oh, yeah. Well, but now you can talk to Dr. Barnard yourself. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Barnard. Hi, thanks, thanks for your question. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I don't have any plans bringing the meat back in. I'm just kind of frustrated, you know, trying to, to do the diets. You guys have a great My Plate, and I love that, and Rip Esselstyn has great ideas, and they say, oh, no, this is easy. You can make everything flavorful. Just put a salsa on top of it or just put some hot sauce, and I'm thinking, and, and all these stews are tomato-based, so... You're saying I, I need to just go a little boring for a little while and, and do some food testing? Um, do you mind my asking what reaction you have to, say, tomatoes, for example? If it's too personal, we don't have to share it, but if, but if it's something you'd like to share, we could talk about it. Well, you did mention a couple issues. It's, it's mostly two main issues. It's migraines and acid reflux. So. Okay. Yes. Um, here's the thing with migraine headaches. And by the way, for anybody who's listening they, and they – they're not sure what a migraine is. A migraine is not a stress headache where for a half hour in the afternoon you've got a little bit of a pounder in your head. A migraine is like a sledgehammer, and it can really knock you out and make you feel horrible for even overnight into the next day. So so um, the amazing thing, though, is that foods often are a trigger. And if you have only one, well, if you have only one trigger and you identify it and, and you're cured, that's great. But some people have two or three or four different triggers, and it's hard to know which is which. So the first step we suggest is that people start just by a 100% vegan diet, especially the dairy's got to be gone. That dairy is the biggest trigger. And I'm assuming you're not eating any dairy. No, I'm not. Okay, that's great. Um, For some reason, even the low-fat dairies will trigger it. And then for a lot of people, that's the end of it. They never have another migraine unless they have some Velveeta or something, and that'll trigger the the headache again, (laughs) you know, some some dairy, um, or some dairy sneaks into something. But if you've gone completely vegan, you don't have any animal products, but you still get migraines at least sometimes, you might try one of these elimination diets, like I recommended, where you just really knock out all of the potential triggers, and then hopefully your migraines go away, and then you bring the triggers back in one at a time. I wrote this down formally in a book called The Cheese Trap because a lot of people are sensitive to cheese and other dairy. And it, in one of the appendices, it describes how to do that diet. And it is boring. For about two weeks, you're eating a very, a very limited palate of foods because I want to get your migraines out. But then after a couple of weeks, you bring the foods back in, but you do the, it really methodically so that you can identify a trigger. And would you recommend the same thing for spices? Yep. Uh, yes. Um, if if there's a chance that spices are triggering your migraine, which which is, is certainly can be the case, yeah, you leave them all out. And and what you said is true for a while. You're, you know, you're not going to be starving because you can eat, you know, things like rice and 
you know, certain things. You can eat all you want. The, the quantity is not the, the issue. But it's a very limited palate because I'm taking out all the potential triggers. Okay. Sounds good. Thank and, you. And, the, and that lasts that lasts for a couple of weeks, and then you bring the foods back in, and your life will change because you'll see it could be two or three foods that you just, for better or worse, you just got to skip them. You know, if potatoes bring you an, a migraine, then, you know, you can't have it. Or if you're allergic to strawberries, then you can't have that. But but you can have everything else. Yeah, going plant-based was completely life-changing. I just kind of got a little frustrated these two big things weren't going away. Okay, but it helped you in other ways. Oh, my goodness, so much. Uh, and in terms of the sauces and things like that, I, I think different... Um, culinary experts and health experts have different ways of relating to food. And I think that has to do with, you know, geography and ethnicity and, and just personal preference. And it would be fun maybe to just go to a Barnes and Noble and pull out all the vegan cookbooks that you can carry and just look at how these different writers address sauces. Because you might find some that just don't do tomatoes and vinegar and the stuff that bothers you and you know most of us I think are so simple when it comes to food that if you just have one or two fabulous sauces that work on lots of foods you're probably good to go yeah I think once I figure this out I'm going to write my own book haha wonderful <laughs> we idea. can all go to Barnes and Noble's <laughs> in there <laughs> yeah, thanks so me. much Elizabeth thank you Bye-bye. bye 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 so, Dr. Barnard, here we have another Twitter question. This comes from Ian, and he says, some people want to maintain high-protein diets and be vegan at the same time. What sources of vegan protein do you recommend to these people? Okay. Um, first of all, um, it's, it's good to ask why a person really needs protein um, or, or why they're choosing it. Uh, and there are really kind of two reasons. The first is because they bought into protein mythology. Um, like their trainer says, you would need to have 200 grams of protein a day. and You just really don't. Um, but it's very hard to argue with that. It's, it gets the strength of religion. And some, for some people, they just can't give up the, the idea they need huge amounts of protein. Um, a, a woman needs about 46 grams of protein a day, according to the government. A man, maybe 56. And if you ate nothing but plant foods, you, you could easily get twice that or three times that. So protein's not going to be a, a problem as long as you're getting a variety of foods. However, other people, and this is not common, but there are people who feel who do actually feel a little bit more mentally balanced if they have somewhat higher protein foods in the morning um, or early in, in, uh, in a meal. And if they have too much either sugar or starch, they, uh, their energy is not quite as hot. And that's not most people, but it does happen. For those people... Um, the, the legume group, the bean group, so beans or lentils are great, and including bean products like tofu or tempeh. Um, those are super high protein and will get you started in, in, a, in a fine direction. Or even um, soy milk and things like that, they've got way more protein than you need, and they work fine. Great. Now we're going to move over to Facebook. We have a question from Carolyn. I love Dr. Bernard's energy and enthusiasm. I read that he became vegetarian in medical school, but I'm curious about his transition to veganism. How and when did that happen? Uh, yeah, um, that happened a little, a, a few years later. I, I have to say at first, like a lot of people, I thought if I just don't eat meat, that'll be fine. But then as time went on, I realized that dairy presents 
a lot of issues too. Um, and when I say issues, I mean we've been talking about the health issues of dairy, which relate to the fat and the protein and even the sugar that's in it. Um, there are also environmental issues, really big ones with dairy, and the animal issues related to dairy products have really surprised me. I didn't realize how, uh, what a frankly rotten life the animals have on dairy farms. So um, those issues, all of them kind of welled up for me. And so I went vegan at the end of my residency, but that's been now more than three decades ago. So I've, uh, uh, I, I only wish that I hadn't, that I only wish I had done it earlier. And because you wrote Power Foods for the Brain, you remember <laughs> exactly how it happened. Over <laughs> well, let's hope so. <laughs> you know, you know, a vegan diet isn't going to make you is, is not going to make you live forever. But the, our goal is that it's going to hopefully keep you well and energetic and, and feeling like you're 16 years old for as for as long as you're around. At least that's the idea. And and having the planet want to keep you around. You know, I, I kind of think the Earth is looking at, at some of our fellow humans and saying, uh, if you wanted to move on. From the Earth's point of view, that might not be such a bad idea. So we make ourselves more Earth-friendly. So everybody, uh, Dr. Barnard's website, www.pcrm.org. If you're new to all of this, PCRM, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, does this amazing 21-day kickstart. So if you're just kind of looking at this, kind of sort of maybe I might want to try it, Oh, do this. And even if you're already vegan, there's just such great information and, and tips on the 21-day kickstart. So check that out. It's also PCRM on Facebook and Twitter. And we will put all of that on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. The brand new book, if you didn't get that yet, The Vegan Starter Kit. When we come back, we're going to be talking about gluten, dairy, olive oil, and people who say, well, I used to be vegan, but now I'm not. wonder what all that's about. So you can stay with us, and after the break, we'll be back with a little bit more of all these good things with Dr. Neil Barnard, the Vegan Starter Kit, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, and we'll be back right after this. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Meditation Minute with Paulette Pipe. So as always, we begin our time of meditation by first taking account of what we're feeling, those sights that we're seeing, 
those sensations that we're experiencing and each breath that we breathe. Notice where in your body you're experiencing those sensations. Let your breathing find its own rhythm as we begin the process of letting go, the process of relaxation. Remember why we're here. To hear more from Paulette Pipe and Touching the Stillness, visit the archives section at unityonlineradio.org. If you've been on a spiritual path for a long time, what can you read that's new and exciting? Try Unity Magazine. It's designed for the seasoned spiritual student with in-depth articles and interviews about spiritual practices and philosophies. Our columnists share their own faith journeys and cover healing, science, and psychology with even a little scripture thrown in. You'll read some classic authors and some new ones. Get a free trial issue at unitymagazine.org. Experience everyday peace with Dr. Drayvon James every Monday at 4 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. In today's busy world, it's easy to get overwhelmed and disconnected. Tune in to the show for practical tips on how to handle whatever life throws at you. Dr. James welcomes some interesting guests and will help you get through any challenges you have with grace. Join the show live or listen later on demand right here on unityonlineradio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program. Just a little heads up about what's happening on the blog at MainStreetVegan.net. It's from Robin Lee, and it's called Main Street Vegan Academy, an alumnus perspective. Oh, my gosh. Someone who went through Main Street Vegan Academy, which is our program here in New York City that trains and certifies vegan lifestyle coaches did a little uh, memoir of her time here, if you want to check that out. But without further ado, let's get back to the man of the hour, Dr. Neil Barnard. So one more question from um, somebody out there in the cyber world, and that is Evan, who says, my dad is gluten and dairy intolerant with a weak GI tract. He was advised to avoid raw veggies and anything with seeds. Each time he makes a, quote, mistake, he gets inflammatory symptoms, pain, diarrhea, he eats little meat and some cooked veggies, but not enough fiber. Any advice? Okay. Well, first of all, I'm sorry that he's got to deal with all these challenges because along with these challenges also come a whole lot of medical testing. And so you're in and out of exam rooms and diagnostic suites, and, and it does get old really fast. So I'm sorry he has to deal with all this. Um, about a, a dairy intolerance, that's totally normal for people. To, it's, it's not a disease to be dairy intolerant. It, Everybody becomes intolerant to the milk sugar um, as they get away from the age of weaning, except that in Europe, maybe 10,000 years ago or so, a mutation entered so that some people can tolerate the milk sugar longer. 
But being intolerant to dairy is not a disease. It's not abnormal. It just means you don't have dairy anymore, so that's okay. Gluten intolerance is a little bit more um, troubling because gluten means the protein in wheat or in rye um, or in barley, and it's in everything. And so going vegan is easy. Going gluten-free is more challenging. Um, and that's true whether you are a meat eater or a vegan or whomever you are. If you have to avoid gluten, that it is a bit of a pain, but, but you, can, you can do it. Um, and you're, you can work with your doctor to see if you really need to avoid gluten or not. Um, about 1% of the population, a little bit less, actually positively has to avoid gluten because they get really bad digestive problems. And maybe 10% just feel better if they're gluten-free. The other 90% doesn't matter too much, really. Um, avoiding seeds, for most people, that uh, turns out to not matter. It depends on the specific condition, but if it's something like diverticulitis or something, um, most doctors have abandoned that that guidance. They don't. They no longer feel it's important. You could always ask again to see if your doctor really feels that that matters. With regard to raw f- vegetables, that may be real. Um, cruciferous vegetables like kale or collards or um, broccoli, cauliflower. I would suggest you cook them. And, and the chef at the restaurant is going to say, no, we want to serve them practically raw and preserve all the nutri- nu- nutrition. They are harder to digest that way. So you cook them like crazy, and then you'll be able to digest them much more easily. And, and that, that's real, and that's okay. Okay. Thanks so much. I feel as if we have just walked into the Barnard Clinic and we're getting <laughs> consultation. Tell us a little bit about the clinic. I think most of us feel that it's so hard to find a physician that that is even open to this way of life, much less someone who actually uses it uh, to further health. So tell us what you've got going on there. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, we opened the Barnard Medical Center in 2016 because we, up until that point, we had a lot of patients coming in, but they were always participants in research trials. So you had to have diabetes and be between certain ages and so forth before you could come in. Um, so we opened the, the medical center for just really anybody who, who needed primary care. And so that's what we treat. We're, we're located here in Washington, D.C., and it's a, a very typical primary care clinic where we treat everything from twisted ankles to pneumonias and flu shots and every old thing. However, food always enters the conversation at some point. So a person might come in on many different medications, and we might need to continue their medications, or at least for a while, but we'll, we'll talk with them about how food could have caused their high cholesterol or their diabetes or their high blood pressure, and we'll also talk with them about how to change their diet. But unlike every, just about every other clinic, we don't leave it there. We have on staff four registered dietitians whom you can meet with, and you can drag your reluctant spouse into the room, and you can all talk together about how to make a diet exploration and go in a new, new direction. And then after an hour appointment or whatever, if you say, well, I need more help, we have classes. Uh, the classes are every week. They are free. You can come forever for as long as you want. And it's, it's mostly information, but a lot of people come just for the emotional support of, of knowing that their questions will always be answered. So between having really good doctors, all of whom follow vegan diets themselves, um, registered dietitians to really go through the nitty-gritty of planning your diet and then having classes that will support you forever. It's just been the coolest, coolest thing. And the doctors are really happy because instead of feeling like they're in sort of a factory assembly line handing out prescriptions, they realize that they're 
getting to the cause of illness, and they got a team to back them up. That's great. Thank you so much for thinking of that and doing all the work that it took to get it up and running. That's well, it is cool, and I, I got to say, we also we also accept insurances, and we and we have some patients who have no insurance, and so we have a sliding scale. So it's it's my hope is that it'll be a model for what medical care really can be. Oh, I hope so. And it's interesting because as far forward looking as it is, it also kind of goes back to some of the best from the past. I remember my dad was a physician back in Kansas City back in the day. And I used to help my mother with the books. And I would say to her, what's that zero with the line through it? And she would say, oh, that's the people who didn't have any money. <laughs> and it was just accepted oh. that medical care was a right. And hopefully we are getting back to that. So I wanted to ask well, you I'm, about... Well, I'm with you 100%. I'm with you absolutely 100%. You know, the, the, idea, the idea that medicine should be a business and all this stuff, I just think that's, that's not what this is about. The idea is to help people to get well. You know, exactly. life is short. Let's be, let's, let's be kind. Let's be decent. Let's provide some oh, good service. That's so beautiful. So I want to ask you about a substance. And it almost sounds like I'm going to ask you about some sort of illegal drug. But I'm going to ask you about olive oil or avocado oil or macadamia nut oil or some of the other, most people would say, better oils. And yet in our particular community, with our plant-based physicians, it just seems as if oil is bad. But if you go online and say, how do I lower cholesterol? What's a really good diet? How should I eat? Olive oil always ends up in there. So people are really confused. Can you unconfuse us? Um, olive oil is better than butter um, or chicken fat. And when I, when I say it's better, it has less bad fat in it. The bad fat is saturated fat. And to give you some numbers, beef fat is roughly maybe 50% saturated fat. You know, all fats are mixtures, but beef fat is about half saturated fat. For, for, um, for chicken, it's maybe 30%. And if, if it's olive oil, it's about 14%. And the reason we care about that is that's the, the part that will raise your cholesterol. So olive oil is lower. But it's not as low as not having oil. So if you're not adding any oil at all, you'll get the best, you, you, you'll have the, the smallest amount of saturated fat and you'll have a really good cholesterol. The other thing is that all fats, no matter where they're from, whether they're from a cow or from olives, have the same number of calories. Um, so it's not as if you're escaping calories by going to olive oil, but you are missing a lot of the saturated fat, which is good. So where I come down to it is, let's say a person is trying to lose weight or they've got diabetes and we're trying to, to change that. In those cases, I really want to take all the oils out of their diet, except the, the natural oils that are in the traces in vegetables and so forth. Um, if you're a young, healthy person, you don't have diabetes, you don't have any weight issues and so forth, I'm less worried about your having oil. And, and I would suggest that if you're at an Italian restaurant, you not feel a great need to blot out the last drop of oil that might have sneaked into your salad. I don't think it's that important for that person. Okay, that makes sense. I know there's something in, in this adorable little book, the, the Vegan Starter Kit, where, where you say that chefs sometimes go overboard <laughs> with that, so watch it. So that's, that's good to know. So how about weight? You did mention weight, and you do have something in the book here where you talk about some people say, I went vegan and I'm just not losing weight fast enough, or some people would actually say I'm gaining weight. 
And then other people say, I went vegan and I'm losing so much weight, I'm going to have to go back to animal foods. How can we have this dichotomy? Yeah, it, it sort of depends on the food choices. Um, if a person says, okay, I'm really not losing weight fast enough, uh, you know, th- that's an important uh, observation because this, that's one of the biggest reasons people go vegan because it very reliably causes weight loss. So you wanted to lose 35 pounds and it didn't happen to you, why not? Um, frankly, step one, uh, do check your BMI, your body mass index, and make sure that you actually do want to lose weight. And the reason I mention that is there are some folks who are preoccupied with their weight, but the truth is their weight is okay. Their weight is normal. They're not overweight. And the problem may be just how maybe how they're looking at things. They might need to 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 really take another look at that with a professional. So do have a look at that and um, at, make sure your body weight is really is higher than it ought to be. And if, if so, fair enough. Then we'll, let's start losing weight. Okay, uh, you, you do have weight to lose and it's not coming off. Rule number one, make sure you're actually avoiding animal products completely. If you say to me, I'm vegan 90% of the time, it's that 10% that's, that's holding you back. It's sur- really surprising. Secondly, this is the time to really do a search and destroy for oily stuff. And I'm thinking about nuts, peanut butter, that olive oil again, the, the oily foods will stop your weight loss. Um, the, in, in Spain, a big Mediterranean diet study kicked in for people who were overweight, and they didn't lose, they didn't lose weight. They just didn't lose weight, uh, only a trivial amount of weight. And it was because they were all encouraged to eat olive oil or nuts, and so that huge fat content stopped them from losing weight. So those two steps, making sure it's 100% vegan, keeping the oily foods out, that's going to really tackle weight issues for 99.9% of people. Uh, you can go further. You can pump in more raw foods. Uh, fr- I'm thinking about fruits and salads and things. For a lot of people, that carries them over um, their, their weight loss goals better. Don't forget to drink water. Um, not that you necessarily need that much water, but if thirst is being misinterpreted as hunger, then, then just make sure you're well, well hydrated. So um, do those things. Uh, maybe one last tip real, really quick. Get some sleep. If you are just um, knocking yourself out, you're going to eat things you wouldn't otherwise eat. Um, and so if you could go to bed at 10 o'clock and get a good night's sleep, then the next day you'll have a little bit more resolve. So those are a few tips to help people with their weight. Wonderful. And then the people that can't gain weight. Yeah, you're talking about the person who, who went vegan and um, they think, oh, I'm too skinny. Um, well, first of all, you're the, the envy of all your friends because they all wish that they were skinny. Um, and it, it, it's important to be reassured because it, you're not going to lose muscle. And it's not like your bones are going to get thin. It's just that fat layer that that gets thin. And that really depends on the the fat content of your diet. So if a person wants to have more weight for for whatever reason, um, you can increase the content of of oily products in your diet. This is where the nuts and the seeds and the the added oils um, can come into it. But go easy on that because it may be that it ends up where you don't want it. You know, So you end up with waistline fat as opposed to more evenly distributed. And there is some controversy about how thin a person needs to be. There are some people writing that there are a lot of very fit, healthy people who would appear to be overweight or have a BMI that's more than what the charts say, 
and yet other things say that even if you're normal weight, maybe you're skinny fat. So it's really enough to make people nuts. It is. Um, the body mass index, is, as I guess everybody knows, just looks at how much you weigh and how tall you are and gives you a figure. And it has um, it's a pretty broad range. It's between 18 and a half and 25 is what we consider a healthy body mass index. Um, but if you're big because you have a huge musculature, um, the, the BMI calculator doesn't differentiate mus- you know, muscles from fat. Um, however, I have to say that nobody is in that, ca- in that muscular category. I mean, there are some, but, but the vast majority of people who really have a high BMI, it's just they've, got, they've accumulated extra, extra body fat. Um, so have a look at it. And the beauty of a low-fat vegan diet is it brings you into, into or toward a healthy body weight in a way that's not going to do you any harm. If you try to starve yourself thin, if you try to um, low-carb your way thin, you can put your health at risk. But by eating vegetables and fruits and beans and whole grains and throwing away the greasy food, you're, you're, that, that's a very gentle way to get to a healthy body weight. Well, in your opinion and, and based on your observations and your knowledge, how important is it if somebody has just struggled with weight forever and they're just sick of it and they say, okay, I'm 30 pounds overweight, I'm 50 pounds overweight, I just can't deal with it anymore, I'm just going to eat as healthfully as I can and live my life, how much are they harming themselves or are they harming themselves at all? Well, you know, if a person has made a, as good an effort as they possibly can, fair enough, but um, the, the usual issues that come in are kind of what foods have I gotten stuck on. And so if a person's weight is up substantially, it often is some kind of fatty food that they're just kind of into a rut with. Um, And they may want to really look at that and write down the foods they eat and just see if the French fries or oily foods are are keeping their weight up. Um, What's the risk of a higher body weight for for women? the risks are things like um, a higher rate of higher risk of heart disease, hypertension, and especially breast cancer. Um, a number of other forms of cancer come along with with excess body weight. Uh, when I'm talking about breast cancer, I'm speaking only of postmenopausal breast cancer, but that's most of them. So getting your weight down is, is a good thing. Um, for men, the same thing applies, except that breast cancer is quite uncommon. Um, but heart disease and diabetes and so forth um, affect men just as they do women. So um, getting to a healthy body weight is a good idea, but I do encourage people not to beat themselves up or torture themselves to get thin. Instead, love yourself thin. And, Victoria, you are the the master of this, um, where a person can really treat themselves kindly and lovingly um, by putting the best possible fuel in the tank, and you're going to get toward a, a healthier weight in a in hopefully a, a, a much more respectful and kind way. Mm. It's no wonder everybody loves you. I mean, you really are such a terrific person. You have so much understanding of people, and heaven knows uh, so much concern for animals. It really, really sets you um, in a league of your own. So I know that you and PCRM and sometimes in uh, company with the NIH and uh, other luminous bodies conduct research studies. So what have you found out? What is the science telling us that maybe we didn't know before? Well, I have to say it's, it's been really a great thing to do these studies because um, when we got started, 
people figure it a vegan diet must be good, um, but what really does it do for your body weight or for diabetes or high blood pressure or migraine or arthritis? And, and we've been, been really working on these um, very hard in a, in a big way. And um, I'll tell you where we are right now. We are just finishing up a number of studies uh, related to uh, looking at rheumatoid arthritis. We've just finished some big diabetes studies and weight studies. But the one we are launching at this, actually next week, is vegan versus Mediterranean. Ooh, I'm so glad it, to hear that. Well, it's, I think it's an interesting thing. Uh, we've got a big group of people. We had a huge response to this. Everybody wanted to join it. Um, a group of people is randomly assigned to either a vegan diet or a Mediterranean diet. They follow it for four months. Then they switch to the other diet. So everybody does both diets. But before they start, we track their weight, their, you know, their body mass index, we track their metabolism, we track their microbiome, um, lots and lots of things. And then they switch, and then we, we're, just, they're using, we're using them as their own control. So uh, the results aren't going to come out until just about, just about the end of this year, but it's a super exciting study to begin with. That is so exciting, because as far as I know, nobody's ever done this before. And, you know, we, we really de- do need to do more and more studies along these lines. Um, it's just important to have really good, careful data. And I have to tip my hat to Dr. Hanna Kaleova, who was uh, educated in Prague, uh, Czech, in the Czech Republic, and she came over here a number of years ago, and she was working at Loma Linda, and she then joined our team a few years ago and has just done a fabulous job. So if you come here at 6 in the morning, Dr. Kaliova and her team are busily measuring research, uh, research participants, BMIs, and everything else, and um, and it's it's a cool thing to see. Oh, that's wonderful! It's so funny when you said her name. I thought I know that name. I know that name, and then it's like baked and breaded cauliflower. <laughs> She's one of the recipe contributors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, your that's fabulous right. I, recipes in the back of the book. And that baked and breaded cauliflower is really good. This is one thing I always try to do when I have on an author of a cookbook or a book with recipes in it is I try to make at least one recipe. And that was the one I've made so far from this book. So um, tell her, hey, we love her cauliflower. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for doing that. When When I put together the Vegan Starter Kit, um, I did work with Christine Waltermeyer, who's a recipe developer, as you know. But I also asked my staff, I said, which recipes always work? for you um which ones turn out and are easy and that a newbie could really do so so we put in a few dozen of them and my hope is that people enjoy them yeah they're really good and they're easy and, and that's interesting too and, and and very well thought out one wouldn't want to pick up a little bitty sweet book like this and then have some recipes with 18 ingredients <laughs> so the recipes really match the book so i want to talk to you yeah. about these people who are really vocal vegans and then they decide not to be and very often they decide to be just as vocal about not being vegan as they were about being vegan so i realize that people change things in their lives for many many reasons but the ex-vegans usually say i just didn't feel good the latest case there was a big youtuber her digestion wasn't so great her boyfriend developed serious acne and supposedly when the diet was changed and eggs and fish came back in his acne got better what do we do i mean other than be nice i totally don't think if somebody doesn't want to be vegan we just have to hold the space open for them i don't believe that we should you know 
say you're murdering animals, even if we feel like that. But why do people stop? And what's a good response from those of us who are in? Okay. Well, first of all, I wouldn't worry about it too much. And the reason I say that is in my career, I've treated lots of folks with um, not so healthy habits. And there was never a smoker who just quit and, and never had, and it was never tempted again. They, most of the time, they stutter into it. So they, they're a non-smoker for a while, and then they're at a party, and something bring, you know, lures them back, and then they're smoking again. And then after about 25 times of this, they finally think, forget it, I was best off as a non-smoker. Same with alcohol, same with drugs, same with all kinds of stuff. So if a person was raised all their life eating animal products, and they're on every street corner, and their family members and everybody else eats these things, and then they're completely switching to a plant-based diet, 97% of the time they do great and things get better. But maybe, I'm going to say 3% or 4 or something like that, people may not feel quite as well. And they haven't quite, it's usually not that a vegan diet is not good for them, but they just haven't figured out which foods are best for them. It's like getting plunked into a different city. And you haven't found the right restaurant or the right grocery store, and you're not eating things, the right things, and it takes a little time to, to find it. So th- that's what typically happens. Uh, but a smoker does actually feel better going back to smoking. And a person with alcohol problems who was dry for 20 years and then they have a slip, they feel great when they're drunk. Um, so they you know, they really do say, I feel better this way. But then they realize the price is just too great. So if a person feels better eating meat and cheese, that's sort of temporary. Um, it's not very common, but it, it can happen. And it just means a person has to find a vegan diet that works for them, um, playing around with different kinds of foods and different recipes. And pretty pretty soon you'll find it. Okay. So we've talked about food. We've talked about health. But I know that you also really have a heart for the animals. And I know that you're one who is not ashamed of bringing that into the conversation. So tell us just here in our last couple of minutes how you found that part of yourself and what's going on now for animals that's really, really good. Well, when I was a kid, I grew up in North Dakota and... um, my my uncle raised cattle, several uncles. Um, a couple of them raised cattle. My dad raised cattle when he was younger, um, but he quit. Uh, we went out with shotguns, and we killed ducks and geese and pheasants. And, you know, we did all kinds of things. Um, at some point, you start to realize that what you're doing is not necessarily making the world a better place. Um, what got me uh, was uh, in college I experimented on rats. That was part of a psychology class. Um, after that, when I was in medical school, I was asked to experiment on and kill a dog as part of an experiment. And I think it, I just had enough. And I said, no, I said, I'm not going to do that. They said, this is required. You have to do this. And I said, <laughs> I, I wasn't a cocky medical student, but I knew I was not going to kill that dog, and I wasn't going to participate. I just said, no, I will not do this. And because I refused, there was another student who said, he's not doing it. I'm not either. And then we had our movement um, <laughs> of two people. And the, um, the medical school ended up making the lab optional, and then they just got rid of it altogether. And as you probably know, we've made it our business at the Physicians Committee to just stop those things completely. And so we have eliminated all animal use, not just at my medical school, but at every medical school from, the, from teaching. You become an MD without ever being offered 
any kind of animal lab anymore. So that's that's good. Yay! Um, <laughs> Thank well, we, you. We, we, you, you. You need to nourish compassion in doctors just like everybody else. And if you can teach people that to let life in whatever form it's in, just leave it alone. Oh, that's, that's really beautiful. a good. That's a good. That's a good. A, a good thing to carry forward. It is indeed. Thanks so much, Dr. Barnard, and thanks to everybody for listening. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.